0: Hello and welcome to the Tech Dirt Podcast. I'm Mike Masnick.
1: The world is increasingly technological, so we have better get methodical. Bringing precision to critical digital journalism with the singular vision of the modern monocle.
0: Stopping the copyright police from pulling the wall on us. Painting and taking on all the plates to paint and trolls. Document the ways that they aim to take control. Denies and beautifies and make and fall. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get hurt. to grab a shovel and uh, back in May, we launched a new project on TechDirt called the Tech Policy Greenhouse. Uh, the idea was pretty straightforward, or at least I thought it was pretty straightforward, uh, that there are a bunch of really big, extremely difficult and complex tech tech policy questions that don't have easy answers, Uh, and yet too many of the discussions around those issues dissolve into, uh, well, what I consider to be nonsense, Uh, and often it's just people lobbying for a single position without recognizing that every choice has trade-offs and every option has upsides and downsides. So with the tech policy greenhouse, we wanted to try to bring together a group of real experts, Uh, to discuss various issues with at least, uh, hopefully, some level of humility to admit that there aren't necessarily easy answers, but that there are ideas and concepts worth exploring around each of these tech policy issues. For the very first topic, uh, we kicked off with privacy, Uh, And we ended up with about 20 different articles exploring different aspects of online privacy, uh, starting with Senator Ron Wyden talking about a bill that he has proposed in Congress to revamp uh, privacy law. Uh, We had initially planned to go with uh, fewer articles. I think we expected about 10 articles to be in the series, but we just kept getting more and more interesting submissions. And so Uh, the series ended up being about 20 articles, which was pretty amazing. Uh, Helping to run and edit the tech policy greenhouse was our own Carl Bodie. Uh, And now that we've just about wrapped up the privacy discussion for now, at least, uh, it's not like the privacy issue has gone away. Uh, We thought we'd have him on the podcast to discuss the various articles and the overall project along with uh, Lee Beaton as well. So, Uh, We can discuss some of the specific pieces, but I wanted to kick this off by asking Carl uh, what you thought of the overall discussion, because this greenhouse project was pretty ambitious in in my eyes, and we uh, picked a kind of contentious topic to launch with in in privacy. So the question for you to to start off the discussion is whether or not you think we were able to achieve what we had hoped to, to do.
1: Hey there, uh, thank you for having me on, I appreciate it. I think by and large, we did succeed. You know, I think this is one of the thornier issues in tech, all of tech policy, because there's just so many unintentional side effects of what you're trying to propose. And it's so complicated when you're talking about so many different industries, all with varying problems from telecom to ad tech to Silicon Valley, all trying to you know, influence the discussions. But I do think we succeeded. You know, yeah. um, I uh, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, you know, I think um, most of the bills we've seen have been overly simplistic. And it's one of those issues where I actually agree with almost everybody. You know, I agree with most of the sides of the debate. I agree that Congress probably might not be capable enough to craft a bill. I agree with the unintentional side effects of bad legislation. At the same time, I think we do need a bill, you know, and I tend to often agree, agree with the consumer advocates that we have to have some kind of at least a basic framework in place. Because you've seen scandal after scandal after scandal after scandal. Each one seems to get worse, you know. And I think Bruce, Bruce Schneier, the uh, security uh, expert, has long noted that eventually we're going to have a scandal that involves, you know, um, they're going to get more and more severe, potentially to the point of uh, fatality. And I think we need to have a more intelligent discussion about what uh, rules might look like. You know, the problem is we didn't expect a pandemic. <laughs> we didn't expect... <laughs> To have to rebuild an economy at the same time we discuss this, so I have a sense that a lot of this is going to get sidelined. Understandably so, um, but yeah, yeah, I think I think the overall conversation went went generally well. And there's there's still a lot of issues I'm learning about myself. You know, there's a lot of people that are much smarter than I am digging through the very deep and dark legal weeds on this subject. Um, yeah, and, and yeah. I'm I mean, to it's, it's, it's
0: it's such a tricky subject, and and you know, one of the issues, one of the things that I um, I had hoped would be covered and wasn't necessarily covered as much as as I had wanted to. And, and perhaps, you know, I should have tried to find somebody else who could, who could speak to it It was even, you know, how do you define privacy? And, and that's one that I've come back to a bunch Um, in these discussions. It often feels like people are talking about different things when they're talking about privacy. And, and to me too frequently, the discussion is really, um, It it changes privacy means what what any individual wants it to mean at any particular time. And and we don't have sort of an, an agreed upon conception of what privacy actually means. And that makes it very, very hard to regulate.
1: Yeah, and that extends out into like each little bits of terminology in the discussion as well, like private right of action. What does that actually look like? What does that mean? You know, what, you know, every little bit of legalese needs to be dissected. And then you have to focus on all the industries being impacted here. You know, a privacy law for telecom is not going to be the same privacy law you have for a cloud service provider or for a search engine. You know, I mean, everything has to be nuanced. Yeah. And an- every an- decision an- has a counter impact that we don't often talk
2: about. Another term that I just throw on that pile that I think gets thrown a lot in really confusing ways is your data like the concept of your data which again it has meaning but all sorts of things get lumped in with it like between data you've created or owner might be uploading to a service online or something versus like data about you and what you did and it's kind of all you know a very confusing concept where people sort of think uh, they can exist online without anyone having any data on them which isn't a thing that is possible in any yeah. way, right? Like yeah. it, the way I put it that one other time, right, is there's no you online. There is only your data. Like you might be sitting in your house or on your phone or whatever, but there's only data about you on the internet. That's what the internet is. It's data flowing around. Right, right, right.
1: Yeah. So getting some kind of consensus is just going gonna, gonna to be a work in progress. It's going to take years. You know? it's, it's a complicated mess. And I think a lot of these contributors did a really good job just kind of breaking down what they felt was the most pressing, complicated, nuanced uh, problem of the day.
2: Yeah. You know. Yeah.
1: I think initially with a lot of the covid like uh tracing contact tracing stuff there was kind of a jubilant we're going to use tech to save this country from the disease and then people once people got into <laughs> it they realized oh it's nuanced you know it's far more complicated than that. Yeah.
0: And and we had we had I think three different pieces that all touched on different aspects of the pandemic itself. Um and you know which was interesting because you know when we started putting together these pieces that was (laughs) pre-pandemic and and of course by the time we launched we were deep in the middle of a pandemic and so you know we had a few different pieces about um you know the the surveillance aspect of contact tracing and whether or not you know could you even if it if it did work and if it was um useful you know could you limit it to just the situation of the pandemic or was it going to to live on forever and be used in all sorts of other situations which yeah you know, all too often we've seen, you know, new surveillance techniques come about for a specific reason. And then, you know, feature creep or mission creep yeah. uh, into everything else, which is, yeah. which is frightening. Um,
1: and then, and then the, the other, the other issues of, you know, you have to have access to decent broadband and affordable service and a cell phone to make a lot of this work. So you're automatically right. causing problems for disadvantaged communities um, that are yeah. definitely not operating on the same playing field in terms of access to modern technology. So yeah. I thought several of the pieces touched on that, and I thought those were, were great to read.
0: Yeah, no, it was it was really interesting. And then uh, you know, and one of the pieces even talked about you know when you're talking about privacy regulations, there are some on the books already. And we had we had one piece uh, by uh, a legal expert on HIPAA regulations, which are you know you know, one of the most well-known and least understood <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, privacy regulations out there in terms of, you know, privacy regulation regarding health data. Um, and, and you know, that's an area that I thought was worth exploring and, and perhaps, you know, we should continue to explore because it is an area where there is this sort of comprehensive privacy regulation that has had very, you know, significant unintended consequences and yeah. also has been really important in terms of protecting you know private health data. And so you you see all of the trade-offs that we're talking about with any potential other privacy regulation when you look at HIPAA um especially in the, in the midst of a pandemic.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I'm curious I'm yeah. I'm curious if if you think we'll we'll actually get a legislation passed. Um yeah,
0: I mean whether or not something will actually pass is not really my area of expertise. Yeah. Um but you know, there are so many attempts, I think something will. But the question is, will something actually pass this session? I'm not so sure about that. I don't. I haven't seen any legislation that seems to have real momentum right now. Yeah. Um, and, you know, most of the legislation that's been proposed um, has so many serious problems. I think the real issue right now is that, you know, while Congress, you know, Tries to figure all this out, not very successfully. Um, California is doing the uh, the Russian, you know, yeah. Jump right in, yeah. um, And that, that uh, took
1: effect uh, June first. Their California legislation, right?
0: Well, it, sort of. I mean, so the the it technically took effect at the beginning of the year in January, um, but but part of it was that the state had to come out with specific regulations to meet the law. Uh, and they didn't do that until, and those didn't go into effect or basically California couldn't start enforcing it until the beginning of July. Um, and so you had this weird thing where like, um, you know, websites were supposed to, or all, all small, small businesses. It won't be on just websites. Um, you were supposed to put in place a bunch of changes by January 1st, um, but we weren't entirely clear what those changes had to be. <laughs> until, good, good, good luck. Uh, until the Attorney General announced them uh, yeah. and, and then would start enforcing them as of July 1st. Uh, and then, like now that, that we've, we've entered July, um, uh, you know, the attorney general could start enforcing it, and but but part of that enforcement is that they would they have to notify companies that they're non-compliant, and then those companies have like thirty days to get compliant. But again, it's mm-hmm. not even clear what compliant is. There there's so many issues, and, they also- and like. Sorry, go ahead.
1: Didn't they also say something about how they would only take something like three enforcement actions a year? Do you remember anything about that? That I don't know. They they admitted there was a point at some point they admitted they wouldn't actually be able to enforce this at proper scale. When you're talking about California and the number of companies engaging in probable privacy violations, enforcement becomes just a logistical nightmare. And I think they admitted at one point they could only do a certain handful you know, yeah, I, I mean, Joe that, Jerome Joe Jerome's the, piece was really good and that he talked about how enforcement was going to be a huge problem Is you can't just pass legislation and then say oh we fixed the problem when
0: Yeah. You know, the- I mean, I, I I kind of have the sense that the the point of the California l- law is um to allow the attorney general to to go after you know truly bad actors. Um so basically, like, if there becomes enough noise about a particular company doing bad things, it it gives a hammer to the to the attorney general to go after them. Yeah. Um, and so, which is not great either for a variety of reasons. It certainly doesn't lead to consistency. It just is like, you know, and and it leads to the risk of kind of like uh, the media or or an online mob suddenly deciding that like this is a bad. Uh, bad practice even if there's like a legitimate reason for how it came to be and then all of a sudden like a crackdown from the from the attorney general uh, and
2: also to the problem we've seen a million times with attorneys general where you know yes. they'll just ride that public outrage because they want the profile from it regardless of whether they think the public's correct on their the yeah. anger at that yes. company you yeah. know? well the
0: yeah. the the joke of course is that the uh um it, it, uh, attorneys general are are all basically um you know out there trying to become either governor or senator it is the the yeah. platform on which you uh step up from yeah. from that to, to you know even more famous and so the um you know the attorneys general state attorneys general have a, a long history of really doing sort of grandstanding things to get headlines and, yeah, and be seen yeah. as sort of like the people's you know uh, I, fighter
1: i forget who it was but pokemon go was a good example of that i remember yes yeah. the, the hysteria surrounding that. that this was going on at the same time that cellular uh, providers were getting caught you know hoovering up your location data and selling access to it to pretty much any rando right that they could find but the big focus was pokemon go you know, violating people's privacy or being a big scandal. I remember, I can't remember the AG that had a big kick about that, but he, he made sure that the headlights. lights. They often, <laughs> they often
0: team up and it, it becomes, you know, one will take the lead and you have like, you know, 30 others who will sign on to these letters. I mean, yeah. years ago we had written about the, uh, Chris had, had who had for many years ran uh, the company Topics, um, had written this amazing piece about um, about what happens when the attorneys general <laughs> get mad at you and um, basically like they accuse topics of all sorts of questionable activity um and they but they did it by like this pre- press release there were like 40 attorney general who like basically said like topics is pure evil um but they had no they were you know topics was protected by 230 it was basically like you know there were some bad people misusing topics and um And so, like, Chris went in and met with all of these attorneys general and explained, like, the reasons why they made the decisions that they made and that they were not nefarious and there were good explanations for this is how come, you know, our policies ended up this way. And, like, a week later, they took everything that he said and twisted it into the worst possible way and put out like a second mm-hmm. press release with like even more attorneys general signed on saying like, you know, this is pure evil, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, what the, like, I, I explained to you why it got that way. And to, to make this out as, as if we're nefarious is, is horrible. And eventually he just had to settle because they were just going to keep hounding him until he settled, even though there was no legal uh, basis for the, for the argument that they that they made. And that seems to happen quite a bit. Yeah. Um, and to some extent, I mean, that gets to like, the article that that Lindsay Barrett wrote as part of the greenhouse where she was just talking about the, the focus isn't always on the worst actors in reality. Yeah. It's, it's on the that's ones as, that's that as... get the most media attention. Yeah, that's a
1: subject that fascinates me is what we pay attention to and what we don't. You know, big big tech is the big uh, boogeyman right now, and everything is singularly focused on what big tech is doing wrong. And big tech does do a lot wrong, but yeah. at the same time, AT&T has been engaged in most of the same behavior for 20 years, and I rarely see people get too fussy. You know, I don't know if you remember the Verizon zombie cookie scandal. yeah. Where they were actively modifying wireless user packets to track people around the internet and they literally did not tell anybody for two years it took security research it was two years to find out what verizon was doing yeah and and finally verizon got a few wrist slaps i think for that and i still think that technology exists somewhere in the, across its oath aol <laughs> empire it's just they had the only thing they had to change was they included a little provision of some additional fine print yeah you know, and, and nothing actually changed there was a big scandal and then nothing changed. But it's fascinating to me to see what gets attention and, and, and what doesn't. When you have a lot of bad actors out there, yeah. like ad tech, doing a lot of sleazy monitoring of everybody's information and not much coverage on it, honestly.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you, if you look through all of the different areas where, where there are serious privacy concerns, telcos are, are a huge one. Uh, the ad tech like the behind the scenes ad tech companies certainly the credit monitoring companies all of those guys have really really sketchy practices um you know and and yet everyone is so focused on big tech and and that's not to say that there aren't questionable practices but you know for the most part the big tech companies do have like serious privacy people employed at those companies who are you know pushing back on 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 bad behavior and, and really trying to to do things to protect people's privacy, um, yeah. you know, and and there, there are questions about how successful they are, and and you know whether or not there are certain practices they that they are engaged in that should be blocked or or not allowed, um, and that's that's a worthwhile discussion to have. But the the idea that those companies are the absolute worst of the worst, when we see so much worse all the time, with yeah. no oversight, no concern. Um, is a big deal. And that's a lot of what Lindsay's piece was about. Was, yeah. That was a great it's, one to see. It's, it's and a and very I've, much,
1: sorry, go ahead.
2: Oh, I was just going to say, yeah, and it seems so much of that is just about or at least a lot of the time it's just about brand visibility to people you know I mean you, you you go on Facebook you hit the Facebook icon on your phone you get Facebook branded notifications on your phone you think constantly about how you're interacting with a company called Facebook whereas yeah. you know your ISP you kind of set it and hopefully forget it until you have a customer service <laughs> issue with them or whatever yeah, uh, yeah. You know, or, and then something like ad tech or something completely behind the scenes people just aren't thinking about it at all so and then also it seems to dovetail you know like you said with the Pokemon Go thing it can just dovetail culturally with like anything else that it's fun to get mad about you know people love to get mad about a thing like pokemon go because it's kind of silly and so you know that enhances the focus on it for other things that it maybe doesn't deserve
1: yeah and during the during the process we seem to lose track of historical context you know we've forgotten that at&t like what Fifteen years ago, got caught hoovering up pretty much access to most people's data, and then we retroactively yep. changed the law to make that okay. Yes, and we just <laughs> moved on, and now we're concerned about something else. Now we're yep. all upset about something else when we didn't even fix the original problem. Yeah, you know, really. So it's it's very strange to me what gets like the TikTok stuff is fascinating to me too. Last Friday's yeah, got about TikTok. Um, y- yeah, boy.
0: which I mean, in some ways, well, so in some ways, I think has has similar or similarity to the Pokemon go thing, where it's just the thing that is that everybody's paying attention to right now. So it's easy to look at any potential privacy violation there and say like, Oh, this is the big deal because it's what everybody it's front and center. Um, yeah. But at the same time, it also has the added element of, um, you know, China because TikTok is owned by a Chinese company. Um, and there's all sorts of concerns about that. And that, that raises things to, to a different level. Um, yeah. But, you know, as as we've discussed on the site a bunch of times, like, you know, there there are legitimate concerns and there are reasons to be concerned about what China is doing and how closely certain companies are related to the Chinese government. But there also seems to be uh, an undercurrent of U.S. companies effectively trying to lobby against Chinese competitors and, and you know, pushing this messaging that... Uh, that these Chinese companies are somehow evil without necessarily the proof behind it.
2: Yeah. yeah, you have a perfect storm with TikTok where it's like it's big and popular, and it's a thing. Some people want to mock or just don't like, or just it has their attention. You've got a bunch of American companies that have competitive reasons to want to minimize it. You've got its usefulness in a narrative about China and about you know for all sorts of political or worse motivations there. So it's like every single so many different people have a reason to decide to focus on that one. Yeah, and make it a thing.
1: Yeah. And usually, the, the policy end product is not, it's not particularly great when you have that kind of fixation you know yeah
0: yeah and i think that's important right i mean so much of unfortunately so much of policy is driven by you know what uh you know what the sort of uh narrative is at the time and and tiktok for for all of these reasons that we've discussed creates a bunch of different narrative lines um that could lead to to regulation or you know there's all this talk now of the u.s completely banning tiktok which you know there are still questions about whether or not they could do that, uh, both technically and legally. Um, but you know, it feels a little strange that, 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 that is even up for discussion when there still isn't even, you know, clear evidence of what the problem is. There are concerns and, and some of those concerns may be reasonable and they may be legitimate. Um, but we should, you know, have some actual clear guidelines and rules before we're just saying like we're going to ban an entire service uh, because it might have some problems
1: and also if we're going to be upset about what TikTok is collecting there's dozens of companies all over the world including many in the united states that engage in the same behaviors and you need solutions that are going to be more uniform instead of just freaking out about one thing and trying to solve that one thing and then ignoring that a parade of companies are doing this exact same behaviors, but they're okay yeah. because they're American or they're okay because they're German and we don't address the underlying problems that still exist. Yeah. Very, very thorny, very messy, you know. It's the same stuff with Huawei, you know, trying to ban this company from global telecom networks is a very <laughs> cumbersome, difficult process. Yeah. At the same time, our, our companies like AT&T, again, engage a lot of the same behaviors. Are we going to ban AT&T? For, you know, it, it gets very thorny and i don't see a lot of nuance in those conversations quite honestly
0: yeah yeah i mean that's that's always one of the one of the challenges and that you know again sort of what we were trying hopefully to do with with some of these discussions um and um uh to bring it back around to the the greenhouse discussion you know we mentioned earlier like this concept of private right of action. I actually, I really enjoyed, we, we basically had a back and forth discussion um, going on between, you know, some of the articles we had in the greenhouse really were advocating for private right of action, which is effectively instead of waiting for the attorney general to, to, uh, to sue a company or to go after a company for privacy violations, allowing individuals to step up and say, "Hey, my, my data was was mistreated or um, you know my privacy was violated and to sue the companies that were responsible. Um, and so we had like Joe Jerome and and Ernesto Falcone basically saying like we need this to make uh, any privacy law effective. And then we had Evan Engstrom from um, from Engine coming back and saying, like, you know, if you're going to do that, you're going to have to recognize the potential consequences of that um, including the idea of like a privacy troll. Um, yeah, people that
1: exploit that system and just take full advantage. Yeah,
0: Exactly. And, you know, yeah. we've seen different kinds of trolling operations in all different parts of the law. I mean, obviously in copyright and patents, those are two big ones that we followed. But we've seen other ones like, you know, the, the ADA trolls that go around finding like minor, tiny violations uh, in ADA regulations, which were obviously put in place for, for very good reason. Um, and then basically shaking down companies, and in fact sometimes shutting down small businesses because they can't afford to make sure that their their the degrees on their wheelchair ramp are exactly correct, you <laughs> right, know, or, right. or or whatever it might be. Um, and so if you were to p- pass a, a big privacy law um, that is hastily written and not clearly designed. And allow for a private right of action, the likelihood of widespread abuse is really, really high. So yeah. Evan had—I thought he had some pretty compelling suggestions for how you could have still some form of a private, private right of action um, while hopefully avoiding most of the trolling problems. But it would—you know—it would have to necessarily limit how often or how frequently um, that private right of action could be. Could be used, and so you know, I know he and Joe went back and forth in discussing those those ideas for a while, and that that was, you know, part of. Uh, what i most enjoyed about greenhouse was you know sort of bringing those different viewpoints to the table yeah. in yeah. a way that i thought was really constructive most of yeah. the debates most of the debates i've seen about the <laughs> private right of action have just been two sides completely screaming at each other yeah. with one side saying no you can't have it at all and the other side saying we need it and we need it completely
1: yeah.
0: um, whereas they really sort of got into it to try and reason out like is there a middle ground where we could allow for a private right of action but it only Uh, you know, it's only available after X, Y, and Z happen, And I thought that was, that was, you know, really useful and and certainly influenced my thinking over where and when a private right of action should be allowed.
1: Yeah, yeah, I learned a lot from those exchanges as well. Uh, The Joe Jerome piece was really good too, because he got into uh, acknowledgements that industry needs to do a better job acknowledging that things like regulatory capture exist. Yeah. You're going to throw enforcement to an FTC you need to not only fund it you need to address the fact that you know i saw one study suggesting something like 75 percent of ftc staffers have revolving door conflicts of interest <laughs> so you're not gonna you your neck it was some ridiculous number and you're just not gonna have adequate reinforcement unless you address the right. fact that a lot of these agencies are captured and, and and a lot of companies simply aren't even willing to acknowledge that that's a true fact so you have to kind of edge in the right direction and i thought a lot of these conversations did a good job and putting all those ideas out there and making sure that as we move forward, we, uh, you know, consider all of them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I thought it was, there was a lot of, a lot of really useful stuff. One thing that, that didn't come up much, the, I only saw it in one piece, which was Jim Harper's piece. And it was pushing back against an idea that, that we didn't have anyone pushing the other side, even though I've seen it out in sort of the popular press quite a bit, which is the idea of property rights in your data. Um, yeah. And this is one that, like, um, Andrew Yang has pushed heavily and, and uh, you know, a bunch of other folks have sort of picked up on that. Um, and I think it's a terrible idea. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, my, you can,
1: Correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding is one of the criticisms is that creates an incentive, uh, a reverse incentive where people have to kind of pay to protect their own privacy. Um, Isn't that the criticism?
0: There, there's a there's yeah to some extent that's one thing where it's um you know basically saying that like um you know companies should have to pay if they're using your data yeah. there, there there are a few different ways it could be implemented and a few different things that people talk about um but i i think it creates a, a whole bunch of different problems um one of which is that it it inevitably thinks that your data is worth a lot more than it really is. Right, right. Uh, and so it's like, yeah, you know, I mean, to, to Facebook or Twitter or whatever, you know, your data is probably not worth nearly as much as you think it is. Yeah. Like in yeah. aggregate, like aggregating all of that data, sure, there's value yeah. there, but you have to have like, you know, 500 million users for them to find it valuable. And so the few pennies that you might get for your data is not, does not really uh, yeah. make, make the difference that you think it does. The other thing that it does is it creates all of the problems that we've seen for years that intellectual property has, right? You know, you have something that is non-rivalrous and non-excludable and you try and put property rights on it, you immediately create huge, huge consequences. Um, and and those spiral out in all sorts of weird and dangerous ways, including trolling operations, including censorship, uh, including a whole bunch of other things. Um, And, you know, at some point I need to write a big piece on on why property rights and data is just a really, really dangerous idea. Um,
2: Yeah, I mean, if you look at like, you know, the intellectual property thing, right? I mean, so we've got copyright, which is not really property as we stress often but it's yes. treated in that way by people uh you know covering a whole bunch of the types of data that people upload to services and stuff right and the very first thing any service needs to do to operate is have people waive all of that and license them to use everything <laughs> no. in any way because otherwise it literally couldn't function like. right right
0: <laughs> yeah no that's a good point <laughs> um yeah i don't know I, i'm always amazed at people who seem to think that that's a solution to, to stuff
1: yeah, it uh, seems to flare up like every two months. It seems to come up as like a somebody has it as a as a grand idea, and then I immediately watch about a dozen people point out how that is just absolutely not true.
0: Yeah, yeah, um, and it's always like all all of the for the most part, like all of the privacy experts explain why it's a bad idea, and then it's all these like I want to say privacy newbies uh, who are like, no, that's brilliant, you know, like that's yeah. yeah, my yeah. my privacy, my property. Um, Yeah,
2: Yeah, or like, and then, you know, yeah, I mean, something like the Andrew Yang plan, which would, I don't know, result in what, like, everyone getting a check for $8 every year or something like that. Like, that's, you know. Problem fixed. Yeah. Right, right. We've solved the problem.
0: Yeah, and I mean, um, to some extent, like, I guess, you know, I, I, another thing that didn't come up much, but I, I thought Mike Godwin addressed in his piece that touches on this same thing is like, you know, if you make if you put property rights in, in data, you do create free speech concerns. Um, And that was something that, that I always think is important. That also gets ignored often, but Godwin addressed in his piece, which is like that privacy rights and free speech often conflict and like actually being able to, to recognize that is important. And like, we saw this play out with the GDPR uh, in, in Europe where, You know, it was written by privacy data protection experts, um, and they ignored free speech people who said, like, things like the right to be forgotten raise free speech concerns that we should discuss. And they're like, no, 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 it's a data protection issue, not a free speech issue. Um, And now we're seeing things where, you know, that right to be forgotten is being used to suppress speech all over Including on TechDirt, um, and, and
2: then this narrative emerged that it was like actually caring about free speech is just an American thing, and right, in Europe, you right. know, privacy <laughs> is more important. It's like I think there's a, plenty of people in Europe who would disagree with you on that um, right. on that take, like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: So, but it, I mean, it is interesting how many other areas that like. Any sort of approach to privacy impacts. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, I mean, and also other problems that create privacy problems that you can't fix until you fix those. Like our kind of lax antitrust enforcement has kind of gone away. A lot of a lot of privacy problems happen at scale when you let companies get so large that nobody can do anything about anything they're doing. You know, as we right. see kind of with with Facebook a little bit. They're so powerful that how are yeah. you going to rein them in? And how are you going to enforce them? How are you going to force transparency and gain access? You know. And, and that trust that, enforcement is, is is a big deal that we seemingly don't want to fix. So do we fix privacy when we don't fix all these tendrils of other issues that yeah. have been
2: plaguing the sectors for a while? And that well, to, also ties into the Cory Doctorow That's what piece, I was about you know, to about, say, yeah. because yeah, that's one of my favorite pieces. I mean, you know, that's been something he's been on for a while, right? Um, yeah. But, yeah, it's, so And, you know, and so,
0: I mean, if, if people didn't read it, there was the his piece on adversarial interoperability and the idea that, you know... It, what would be great is if rather than like necessarily forcing Facebook to break up, that we could just allow companies to go in and take Facebook's data and create their own Facebooks, um, you know, through, you know, by the use of technology to create something that is interoperable, that would hopefully solve some of the issue and, and could protect privacy in different ways.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
2: Like and, it's not like, like it would solve every, Yeah. Yeah, it's not like it would solve necessarily every problem of tech giants, but, I mean, yeah, just it just DMCA and CFAA reform could go a long way to making it harder for these companies to just control the same huge swaths of data with no no one competing with them, right? Like, yeah. yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I think that that was a really interesting one. But also, you're right, demonstrates, like, the different areas of policy that, that privacy impacts. Um and, you know, I'm, I'm certainly a big believer in like, you know, rather than necessarily having to write an entirely new law to deal with these, let's look at the, the laws that are in place already, that are yeah. potentially creating these messes like it, yeah. some of so much of this is really the unintended consequences of existing laws and the way that they're uh, written and implemented and interpreted so far.
2: Yeah, yeah, and or, I mean, adversarial interoperability used to be more common, right? Yeah. And, you know, and I mean, unfortunately, even though they're good on so many things, like Craigslist was a major fighter against that for a long yeah. time, right, and and helped set a lot of the stage for, you know, that going away because um, there used to be much, much more adversarial yeah. interoperability and, online. And
0: Corey's, um, done, Corey's done a tremendous amount of research on this and, and the history of it and that it was common. I mean, this is how the technology industry operated for many years was that, you know, I mean... This this is why, you know, the, the whole IBM PC market <laughs> was sort of built on, on adversary interoperability, you know, Linux, the, the history of Linux. The, there are all of these different things that came about because people were creating interoperable things without permission, without having to license stuff and just building it and making it work. Um, and. Yeah
2: and we wouldn't that, even really call it adversarial at the time right like yeah. well in some cases it was yeah, i mean yes, certainly yeah.
0: there, were, there were complaints about some of it and um you know but that is how technology grew and how a different innovation occurred and yet is now harder and harder to do in part because of you know very broad interpretations of existing laws yeah yeah um and so I'm trying to think what other, what other sort of big themes we saw. We definitely saw some interesting pieces about the intersection of privacy and race. Um, we had a few different pieces that covered that, which I thought were yeah. really, really good and important, especially now um, with all the discussions that we're having and how much these things impact um, you know, society beyond just the, the narrow focus of like, oh, you know, my personal data or whatever.
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. I thought those were really good discussions. Um
2: Yeah, the tie ins to that with contact tracing apps was I think very interesting for sure. Um, yeah, I learned a lot through a lot yeah, of those
1: pieces, yeah. 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 And I
2: really liked the idea, you know, digging into the, I mean, it's only, it's was in one of those pieces, but only partly related, it is into, you know, the idea of peer-to-peer based contact tracing and also, you know, whether like via Bluetooth or whatnot, mm-hmm. and also how in general it frustrates me that we don't have more peer-to-peer alternatives to a lot of things, which again comes down sure. to years of people trying to fight against the very concept of peer-to-peer and turn it yeah. into a dirty word, right? Yeah. Like, yeah,
0: yeah. No, I think that's a that's a really good point. Um, and, and definitely... You know, it's it's funny how different all of this could have been if if different things had happened twenty years ago, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: much easier to get things passed. Yeah, it's yeah.
0: it's hard to 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 think about you know the the alternative realities that we might we might have lived if if certain things had gone different ways. Yeah, um, it's kind of it's kind of crazy to think about.
1: I think we're in a we're in a complicated spot now because, you know, as you saw with net neutrality, it's tough enough to pass any kind of consumer protections when you're just dealing with one industry. But when you're dealing with regulations that impact dozens of industries, many of which are just going to lobby against any law whatsoever because yeah obviously they like the status quo right now, the Wild West, where there's not a lot of... Uh,
0: it's well, it's not even, you know, I would argue it's not even like a Wild West situation. In a lot of cases, its companies have grown up based on on these things and, and now have a position of dominance because of those laws right i mean that's part of what the yeah right what, right, right. what cory's piece is saying with the with the interoperability you know there are companies that benefit from that and and that competition is blocked because of that and so it's yeah. not so much a wild west it's that they it's it's more that they they're using the laws to their advantage to block competition yeah um, and that's you know that's a yeah a, a real concern
2: well, it's a little like you know, it's like a company town in the Wild West. <laughs> not, <laughs> not, not wanting the law to come in because they're yeah. Really sorted. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that makes sense. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I, and I think, I mean, is there are there any other other pieces we wanted to talk about? Um, yeah,
1: uh, Gigi Sohn's piece was interesting as well yeah. in the way that she's talking about how telecoms efforts to undermine a lot of these state privacy laws. Um, could have a dramatic impact on actually passing meaningful ones down the road. And she's also talked a lot, a lot of people, I think, uh, Lindsay also talked a bit about this, is the preemption effort. Yeah, You know, AT&T, after two decades of kind of violating privacy, has been really pushing very hard for a kind of flimsy federal law that preempts state laws.
0: Yeah, and, you know, but again, like, when we're talking about trade-offs, I'll take the other side on that, where, you know, the idea being, if, every company has to deal with 50 such state laws um, that are going to be passed under questionable circumstances like California's um, that becomes impossible. And so I think about it from like the, the standpoint of like, you know, running a small company that is on the web that, that is viewable in all 50 States. If I have to comply with 50 different crazy possibly conflicting state laws regarding privacy that becomes impossible as well and so
1: at the the same time in telecom that was a product of their own making sure the way that they lobbied to kill those 2017 fcc broadband privacy rules which really were not particularly onerous they made a big about how difficult they were to adhere to but they immediately set to work dismantling the the pretty modest federal rules which yeah. created the problem that they now run around complaining yeah. about.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, it all goes back and forth. And so it's yeah. like, again, where all of these different trade-offs um, become really, really evident very, very quickly. Though it is funny that yeah. some of it is, is of their own making. Where yeah. you know, they, they get so religious against any, any rules that they open themselves up to lots of little terrible rules as opposed to one big uh, not-so-bad
1: rule. <laughs> Thing.
2: Yeah, yeah. But yeah, after how much of a pain it was implementing for GDPR and then for California privacy law, yeah, we definitely yeah. don't relish the idea of a bunch of new individual <laughs> privacy yeah. laws coming up. I mean, there were multiple times I don't think we ever would have actually done it where we but where we legitimately said like, oh, should we just block all Europe
0: from yeah. coming to the
2: site because of how much of a pain this is?" like we, you know? We've
0: we've had that discussion more than once, the idea of yeah. like literally just blocking Europe from from visiting Techdirt. Um, Which we would
2: hate to do, but right. it, it it literally like we're a tiny team, and it was becoming such a thing for us to figure out how to deal with it, you know yeah yeah
0: yeah and 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 you know i I know whenever I have mentioned that publicly, I get yelled at um by various like uh European data protection experts who are like, "Oh come on, you just don't want to comply, and it 's like, no, look, I would comply if uh, i'm trying to comply but like one it's not clear how you actually comply <laughs> and, and and two it's just like you know if somebody wants to cause trouble for you under these laws they can you know and you get to sort of the trolling aspect of it um, yeah. and so there are just all these situations where it's just like this is going to create such a headache and and literally the the cost of complying is way way beyond you know whatever tiny amount we make from from advertisements in Europe or whatever um, you know, at some point, it just it becomes a straight up business decision that that maybe you do need to to block out things. And I would hate to have to do that with different U.S. states. I mean, yeah, right. Yeah, sorry,
2: um, Kentucky. yeah, yeah. yeah yeah and again it becomes that you know big companies have the money to comply and little ones don't right so it becomes a thing where yeah facebook will do what it has to do to comply with the gdpr and then maybe every small interesting blog or competitor or anything else won't right yeah and then some states are going to
1: over overcraft laws and then some states aren't going to have any so you're going to have just these massive yeah gaps between how consumers are actually protected
0: yeah well i mean a lot of what will happen for for a lot of companies maybe not Facebook-sized companies, but for a lot of companies, you just pick, pick the, the most demanding law and you comply with that, and that's not necessarily a good thing either, um, yeah, you know, right. and, and obviously, like, you know, one of the things that we've said with a lot of the privacy laws, a lot of the way that that you comply with them is to an- annoy your users uh, into, you know, you know, they have to click on this or agree to that, and they don't know what they're doing, and it's yeah. not really helpful, it's just, it's sort of theater, right? It's privacy yeah. theater. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I
2: mean, terms of service are, you know, famous for being things people just click through without having any idea what's in them. And a lot of these privacy laws are just creating more of those, basically.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so... Anyways, uh, privacy—it's complicated. <laughs> privacy—it's yeah. complicated.
2: But if you read all of our pieces on greenhouse, it will be a little less complicated, or maybe yeah. more complicated. But you'll feel like you have more interesting yeah. ideas about it. You might learn something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Anyway, all right. Well, I think we're going to wrap this up. But um, you know, it, it was fun, uh, and and I'm really happy with sort of how how the this first uh, greenhouse discussion came out, and, and I'm looking forward to to the future ones. We're, we're preparing the next one now, uh, and so yeah. Do
2: we want to tease that a little bit, or should we sure just let people be surprised? Yeah, <laughs> we're we're going to move on to content moderation questions. Those being a pretty massive thing right now. <laughs>
0: those are easy. There's no trade-offs there at all. Yeah, that's a that's a, <laughs> simple, yeah, yeah. that's
2: a that's a super simple one. We want something simple and uncontroversial to follow. That's up right. Yeah. <laughs>
0: that's right so we'll we'll have that at some point soon i don't think we've picked an exact time when we're going to launch that yet but we're we're starting to to collect those those pieces so if anyone's listening to this and some of you i know are experts in content moderation and you would like to contribute a piece to it definitely reach out to uh, any of us uh, and uh, and we will be happy to talk to you about it and what we're looking for
2: and I guess to you know to shamelessly pitch for a moment if you're out there and or at a company or somewhere that might want to sponsor us continuing this effort, we're also always looking for more sponsors for greenhouse so
0: also true also true yeah. this is this is we we have sort of cobbled this together it was a, a plan that we've been you know sort of trying to find support for for Uh, almost two years, I think, basically. Uh, And so we are definitely looking for support to be able to keep these conversations going and and to be able to have, you know, these difficult, challenging conversations, but to have them honestly, and with the recognition of all the trade offs and to have, I think, you know, really intellectually honest discussions on topics that really need them, uh, where, where they're less likely to occur in other in other venues.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: All right. Well, on that note, uh, I will thank both of you for all the work that you have done on the, on the, the first of the Tech Policy Greenhouse Discussions. Uh, and I will thank everybody for listening. And uh, we'll, we'll conclude the podcast. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Sounds good. All right. Thank, all right. Thank you, guys.
1: Thanks, everyone.
0: Thanks. To